0: You're listening to the St. John's Diamond Creek Podcast. This episode presented by Associate Minister Kirk McKenzie.
1: Today's reading is from 2 Peter 3, The Day of the Lord. Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. I have written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command given by our Lord and Saviour through your, your apostles. Above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming? He promised. Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's words, the heavens came into being and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. But the same word, the present heavens and earth, are reserved for fire being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. So, then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul also wrote you with the wisdom that God gave him. He writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort as they do the other scriptures to their own destruction. Therefore, dear friends, Since you have been forewarned, be on your guards that you may not be carried away by the error of the lawless and fall from your secure position, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen.
0: Well, in 2011, there was a fantasy fiction book released called The Name of the Wind, and it was very, very popular. Heaps of people love this book, including many of my friends, in fact, a couple of friends even said it was their favourite fiction book of all time. So people were very pleased to know that it was part of a trilogy that the author was putting together, and they were excited when, in 2011, the sequel came out, and it was also very well received. And then, of course, fans of this Now series were waiting for the third book, the completion of the trilogy, to come out. And they waited. Another four years went past and the book hadn't been released. More years went past and it not only hadn't come out yet but it didn't really show any signs of being even close to completion. The author didn't seem to have uh, given his fans any sense that this book was about to come out. And now, here we are in 2022, 11 years after the release of book two, and we still don't seem to be any closer to the completion of this series. We don't seem to be any closer to the release of book three. Now, the author is sometimes uh, live streaming right here on the internet in various internet shows, and people will jump in the comments and go, why aren't you working on the book instead of streaming on the internet? It has created a lot of impatience amongst the fans and quite a few angry nerds have let uh, the author know about just how impatient they are. When we're waiting for something, when we're anticipating something and it's not arriving in the time that we want it to, yeah, we can get a bit agitated. Well, in our passage today, it's, and it's 2 Peter chapter 3, which is the last chapter of the book of 2 Peter, and so that means this is the last talk in our series on 2 Peter, our author, whose name is Peter, uh, is reminding us or giving out his readers a warning about people who are going to be scoffing about the idea of the second coming of Jesus. And we're going to be talking a lot about that today, the second coming of Jesus, Now, what is scoffing? Are you familiar with that idea? I tend to attach a sound effect to the idea of scoffing. Sounds a little bit like this. (laughs) You know, when someone's scoffing, they're highly skeptical and cynical, like as if that would ever happen. You know, if you're scoffing about the idea of the third book in the name of the wind, trilogy coming out, you're going, there's no way he's ever going to finish that book. That book will never come out. And so when people are scoffing about the idea of the second coming of Jesus, the idea that Jesus didn't just live and die and rise again, but he's going to return to earth one day, you're going, as if that would ever happen, that's ridiculous. And so Peter's warning his readers that this is gonna happen, that people are going to scoff at this idea. He says this in verse three and four. He says, above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming, he promised. Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. So people are basically saying, look, nothing's changed. Life's just rolling on as it always has. There is no sign that Jesus is about to come back. That's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about this idea of Jesus one day returning. Now, before we do that and get into it in more detail, I want to point out that if you're sceptical about the idea of Jesus returning, if you have some doubts about it, that doesn't mean you're automatically a scoffer. You know, a scoffer is someone whose uh, scepticism is really over the top, you know, almost at a ridiculous level. So I understand if you have some doubts about Jesus' return, I certainly have had and do sometimes have doubts about it. I'll talk about that in a moment. So you're not automatically in that category of scoffer just because you've got some doubts. You, I'm not. I'm not sure about this. That's okay. The scoffer is that person who's like just you know sort of that unreasonable you know ramped up skepticism, just way over the top, overly cynical. That's the sort of person that Peter is warning about in this passage. Now. Remember, his situation is, it's only decades after Jesus' resurrection. It's not that long compared to us, where we are many centuries, almost 2,000 years after Jesus' resurrection. So it was already a pretty big issue for people in Peter's time when he wrote this letter. I would argue it's a much bigger issue for us today. And so I've had... Uh, varying feelings about this idea of the return of jesus sometimes and, and I, they're between two extremes at one extreme my emotions have been it's too long almost two thousand years that is a ridiculous amount of time this challenges the credibility of the christian faith i mean two thousand years that's so long. Have we got the Bible wrong? Like, are we misunderstanding it? Or is Christianity just completely wrong and Jesus is just not coming back at all? So, that's sometimes I've thought that. But at other times, I've gone in quite a different direction. I've gone, well, you know what? Uh, the average Australian male lives sort of 80, 85 years. So, that's about 23 lifetimes since. The resurrection of Jesus. And given the whole scope of human history, that's actually not that long. And maybe it's kind of unreasonable for me to expect Jesus to come back. I mean, if we think about, you know, Jesus coming to earth, you know, God becoming a person, Jesus doing all the incredible things that he did, that's arguably the most important thing that's ever happened in human history. Uh, then the return of Jesus would be equal to that, maybe even more significant than that. For them to come so close together in human history, given you know, how long humans have been around, maybe that, that would be kind of unreasonable. Maybe it would be much more reasonable for that to come a lot longer uh, away from, you know, that th- those two events would be further apart. And so sometimes I've been thinking in that direction, and often I've been somewhere in between. Whatever I feel about it, whatever you feel about it, whatever scoffers are saying about it, we can be clear that the early Christian writers definitely expected Jesus to return at some point. Now, the specifics can be really hard to work out. You know, most of the things that the Bible writes about have already happened. So we can look back at them and really work out the details and be sort of confident in you know, what happened and why it happened, that sort of thing. But the return of Jesus has not happened yet. And so we've only got a few details about what it's going to be like. And lots of Bible scholars have put a lot of time into theorising different ways it might play out. Uh, But the reality is it hasn't happened yet, so we don't exactly know. Let's have a look at it, though. Let's have a look at this chapter and have a look at what Peter writes And see what he says about the second coming of Jesus. One thing we do learn from this chapter is that when Jesus returns, he will judge the evil in the world. If you look at verses 5 through to 7, we see the uh, the imagery of water and fire, very prevalent in Peter's writing. Now, throughout the Bible, we see these things used by God as instruments of judgment. So God uses both water and fire to destroy evil at times during the stories of the Bible. Uh, water is used to cleanse and fire is used to refine. Now, this idea of God judging evil, God of God destroying evil, of God actually uh, destroying people who have done evil can sometimes make us feel uncomfortable or at the very least raise questions of concern. Now, in last week's talk, Tim really dealt with this in quite a lot of detail in the second half of his talk. He talked to us about why it's important and good that God does judge evil and why he does deal with evil. So I'm not going to go over that again because Tim did such a great job with it last week. If you missed that talk or if at the end of my talk you've still got those big questions about God's judgment and why he judges, I'd encourage you to go back and check that talk out. It's available right here on YouTube as well as on our podcast. Now, um, what I do want to pick up on is verse 10 because uh, there's a really interesting phrase that Peter uses here. He says, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. Now, this phrase, the day of the Lord, is actually one that pops up multiple times during the Bible. Uh, Different biblical authors will use this phrase, the day of the Lord. Now, if you picture a priest, you know, all decked out in priestly robes, shouting this from on top of a hill, the day of the Lord is upon us, can sound pretty ominous. It could sound like this is the last day of the earth, you know, lava's about to just start bursting out of the ground and destroying everything, and the whole earth's going to explode. So that's going sort of yeah. You know, when we hear the day of the Lord, movies have kind of trained us to think this way. But actually, the day of the Lord, when it's referred to in the Bible, is used by authors to describe moments throughout human history where God has intervened. To overcome great evil so it's not one specific date it's not one time at the end of the world it's multiple times throughout history where God has overcome great evil now there's a resource I'd recommend if you want to check this out more the Bible project have done some really good stuff here very accessible easy to understand there's a YouTube animation video that summarises it in about five to six minutes And then they did a podcast series to go with it, which goes into a lot of detail. Really good, highly recommend it. But what Peter's doing by using the phrase, the day of the Lord, is he's clearly saying that the return of Jesus will be one of these moments where God overcomes great evil. Now, as he's using all this imagery of water and fire destroying things on earth, we've got to admit it can be hard to tell exactly what he's describing here because how symbolic is he being? How literal is he being? Like is he describing things that are actually going to happen? Like if we're there, is he describing like what it'll actually be like or is he trying to give us a a sense of what it'll be like, a vibe of what it'll be like? And he doesn't tell us. And so this can be the challenge with reading about these sort of things in the Bible. You know, if we really just took like a, a knee-jerk, flinch reaction to this, we could go, oh, God's just going to reset the whole earth. He's just going to destroy everything, basically wipe out the current earth and plonk in a new one. And that's how it's going to work. And, you know, and this, this idea could lead us to go, well, We don't really need to worry about anything now. We don't need to care for the environment. We don't need to care for each other. All we really need to do is believe in Jesus and then bunker down and wait for him to return. And that's it. But that's really sort of not dealing with the nuances of the way people write. It's taking a very simplistic view of Peter's writing, as well as not taking into account the other descriptions of Jesus' return that we get from other sections of the Bible as well where it's less of a reset of the earth idea and more of a renewal of what we've already got. And when it's a renewal idea, then we're much more inclined to look after each other, look after the environment, and certainly not have this idea of just let it all burn. And actually, if we look at verse 13, we've got an end goal for this judgment that is going to go on at the return of Jesus. And so it's very helpful. Verse 13. But in keeping with his promise, we're looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. So what we see here is that this destruction that's going to go on at the the judgment of evil, it's not just destruction for destruction's sake. It's not like Jesus has been waiting to just smash some stuff and burn some stuff. It's like, yeah, I've just really... Been, you know, um, storing up my anger inside and I can't wait to let it out. It's not the way we're to think about this. The current state of the world is that we do have a bunch of righteousness going on. Righteousness is being in right relationship with God. So in the world right now, a bunch of people are in good relationship with God, they're in right relationship with God. And In in a way, the creation can be in right relationship with God as well. And so there is a bunch of really good things going on on planet Earth at the moment. Lots of wonderful things. But also, evil has a significant influence in our world as well. And a whole bunch of things are definitely not righteous. And a whole bunch of things about our lives as people are not righteous as well. And so what Jesus is going to do is remove the influence of evil, destroy that so that the earth can be restored, so we can have a new earth where righteousness will prevail and where we will be in a right relationship with God, the world will be in a right relationship with God like it never has been before, even at the beginning. So this is the end goal. The end goal is not destruction, but this wonderful world where evil will not prevail, where evil will have no influence. This is something wonderful to look forward to. And it's usually something that we particularly desire when things in life are not going well. It's unusual that we would desire Jesus to return when we're having an awesome holiday. You know, if you're relaxing on a deck chair, you're feeling great, you've got an amazing view, at that point, you're probably not thinking, gee, I really wish Jesus would come back right now. That's unlikely. You're much more likely to feel that desire when things are going really pear-shaped. I remember I, had a, I was in Indonesia and I had a stomach bug and it kept me up all night. I was just feeling awful. I was on the toilet probably about 4 a.m. and I remember thinking, Jesus, Jesus, you know, I'm bent over, Jesus It'd be really good if you came back right now because I don't think I've ever felt this crook in my whole life. <laughs> or more seriously, perhaps you've, been, had, you've had the experience of sitting in a hospital waiting room while a friend or a family member is in surgery that they may not recover from. Or you've been trapped in an abusive relationship or in an addiction that you don't see a way out of. In those moments... Wouldn't it be great if Jesus came back now? Or I think of Christians who are currently in one of the many war zones around the world, and I'm sure there's been some prayers prayed inviting Jesus to come back now as the bombs go off in their city or as bullets whiz past people's houses. It's a much more serious request than, gee, I wish the third part of my fantasy trilogy sequel would come out this year. We feel it really deeply. And Peter actually does address the reason that Jesus hasn't come back. Because when we do see these problems in the world, when we do see the evil, the suffering that evil creates, it's fair to ask, well, why hasn't Jesus come back yet? And Peter addresses it in verse 8 and 9. He says, "Do not forget this one thing, dear friends: with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day." So he's reminding us that, you know, in our short lifetimes, we do experience time a bit differently to the way God does, who, who, you know, <laughs> has been around forever uh, and who who doesn't age. But then he goes on in verse nine. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So, the reason Peter gives here for Jesus not having returned yet is that he's allowing people more and more time to come to faith in him. You see, many people haven't met Jesus yet. They haven't experienced how good God is. And so he's giving us, as in the human race, more and more time to come to know him. And this idea of repentance in this context is this idea of turning to Jesus, turning from a life where we're not living in relationship with him and living a new way in relationship with him. Experiencing his goodness, experiencing his grace, living his ways. And it's makes sense to me, actually. Uh, it makes sense of what Jesus said as he said goodbye to his disciples, gave them the Great Commission, said, I want you to take the good news of the kingdom to every nation on earth. And there are still people groups who have not had an opportunity to hear the good news of Jesus. If Jesus had come back really early, just a few decades after his resurrection, most of the nations on earth would not have had an opportunity to hear about all the wonderful things he'd done. Now, Peter does talk about uh, how to live while we are waiting for him to return. Now, an obvious thing I think here would be to be sharing the good news of Jesus with those who haven't heard it. Um, you know That makes sense given that this is the main reason Jesus hasn't come back. Uh, Share that good news with Jesus. Uh, Share that good news of Jesus. And he says in verse eleven, "You ought to live holy and godly lives, as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming." This idea of living a holy life, a godly life, has been a theme throughout the letter. Joel spoke quite a lot about this in quite a lot of detail in part one of our series. So again, you can you can catch up on that if you missed his talk. But godliness is basically about being like God, being like Jesus. And as we've seen in today's passage, God is patient. And so if we're going to be like God, if we're going to live a life of godliness, then we too should be patient. Now, living in the type of culture that I live in, and most of you probably live in an Australian culture, we don't have to wait very long for most things. You know, we're a very wealthy culture. We're used to having things available to us. We, for example, we don't have to wait. It's winter at the moment, or it's about to, winter's about to begin. We don't have to wait for the weather to get warmer because we can just turn the heater on because we have, you know, very well-built houses and lots of, you know, we've got electricity and heaters and so on. So many things we can get on demand. You know, our advertisers tell us, get this on demand. We can get cooked food delivered to our house within half an hour of ordering it. So many things we can get so quickly. We're not used to being patient. It's not something that we have to do very often in a wealthy Australian culture. And so because we're not used to being patient, the temptation is to transfer that experience into our relationship with God and to demand that God does everything that we want him to now. But following Jesus means that patience is both important and valuable, that being patient with each other and with God is going to be really good for us. It's going to be an important part of all our relationships. So, for example, in prayer, I think it's good to ask God to do things quickly, to ask God to do things immediately. For example, if someone's sick, I think it's okay and good and that we should ask God to pray to heal people on the spot. God, could you pray? Could you heal this person right now? Because you know what? Sometimes God does heal people miraculously straight away. Sometimes God does answer prayers immediately or very quickly. So it's okay to ask God to do things quickly. What we shouldn't do is demand that he does. We shouldn't say, God, if you don't do this now, I'm not going to believe in you. Or we shouldn't resent him if he doesn't do things on our timeline. We should be willing to learn God's timing on things and know that he's not always going to do things the way we want. Many Christians, I'm sure, throughout history have prayed that Jesus would come back during their lifetime. But that's not God's timing. Maybe he will come back during your lifetime. Maybe he won't. We need to trust in his timing. We need to be like him. And be patient, trusting that he has grander plans that we can get our heads around. I think this is a day-by-day challenge that we can take on as we grapple with such a big concept like the second coming of Jesus. Patience in the waiting. Trusting in God's timing. Peter finishes This chapter and his entire letter with a focus on Jesus. He says, But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. What's the grace of Jesus? Well, grace is unearned, undeserved love. This is what we receive from Jesus. This is what Jesus achieved through his life, death, and resurrection. And when we understand that, when we realise that it's by God's grace that we're saved, it's by God's grace that we can be in relationship with him, that we can even know God, it's by God's grace that uh, we haven't already been judged for our evil, we haven't already been destroyed for the evil that we've contributed to the world, that's when we can go, hey, I can't demand anything of God. I can't set my timetable and say, God, you need to follow my timetable because we have this attitude of living in his grace. We're thankful for all that he's done. We acknowledge that it's because of what Jesus has done that we are able to receive all these good things from God. Instead of receiving God's judgment and destruction, we have received God's love. We have received God's kindness. We have received God's grace. We have received God's patience. And all of that is because of what Jesus has done. So when we think about the second coming, if you trust in Jesus, you don't need to fear the judgment that's coming because you're in his grace. You don't need to fear anything about what Jesus will do on that day. You can look forward to it because he's going to make all things new. He's going to deal with the problem of evil and give us a new heaven and a new earth where everything will be made right again.